This is the Green Machine Podcast here with a new manager series, Martin O'Neill, series number four, lads. Can you believe it? I um, no, I got it. I mean, it feels like yesterday, Nick, when you know you contacted me on Facebook and said hello. I'm I'm a huge fan of yours, Mr. Dunn, and I'm quite nervous. And you're an idol of mine, and uh, I'd really like if you it'd be a dream of mine to come through if you would work with me on a podcast. And I said, well, we'll talk to my agent and then we'll get back to each other and then after that and we now got negotiated a fee i said yeah let's do it kid and um that was what six seven months ago was it well look um david you you deserve the chance that's all i'm saying oh, this is a chance you, you, I you, 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 it's the opportunity you deserved so martin o'neill today all on, my own, Nick. All, all on your all on your own an opportunity that you've been waiting a long time for so martin o'neill today lads so so series number four so we're we're doing this to kind of mark 25 years since since Jack Charlton uh, stepped down as Irish manager. And we've gone through a lot of hurt. We've gone through a lot of pain. We've really only gone through one campaign that resulted in qualification for anything. And we're about to go through another one. Spoiler alert. But certainly a bumpy road on the way. And, and certainly a lot of unpredictability in the Martin O'Neill era and, and should we say the Mon Kino era because this wasn't just Martin O'Neill's gig was it it was it was Roy Keane's gig probably the most interviewed assistant manager in history uh, just just sorry to do this to you Nick uh, just to point out a few um, um, thing actually we did have a couple of qualifiers uh, Nick <laughs> did qualify in uh, 2000 uh, yeah. are, are you forgetting about that Trabitoni, I suppose yeah and then I just blanked it out of my head if I don't do it they will out there, so I just <laughs> just point that out there. And My well, apologies to Giovanni Trapattoni uh, and the 2012 European Championship squad. Yeah, but look, probably all right. It's probably it's best we forget that. Uh, I just time. blanked that out of my head, and probably rightly so. So, Martin O'Neill, lads. So 2013, we we say goodbye to Trapattoni. As as I just said there, I just kind of you know blanked history out of my memory. But we'll move past that, won't we? So I suppose there was a time when Trapattoni was in charge where Martin O'Neill was available. And a lot of people were kind of calling for him to come in, weren't they? Kind of around 2012. And then he was a free agent for a long time, wasn't he? Ended up going to Sunderland. We saw him getting the best out of the likes of James McLean. Going on a bit of a run with Sunderland and, and kind of getting the best out of a very, very limited side. And then in the March... Of 2013, he was actually sacked. Then they go on a pretty bad kind of losing streak. I think there was, I can't remember what it was, but it was a fairly bad losing streak with about seven games left. And, and it looked like they were going to be relegated. Of course, they they stayed up. Now, at the time as well, Trabatoni was coming under a lot of pressure. It didn't look like we were going to qualify for the World Cup. We were playing a, a, a re- regressing style of football that, that was already bland as it was. And all of a sudden, um, we're, we're running into a... A situation where we, um, you know, where we're going to miss out on another World Cup after, you know, a, a fairly poor start to the campaign and after a 6-1 loss to Germany, of course, which which kind of put the pressure on. Of course, we, we do part company with them around the, the September time, didn't we? We did our series on Noel King, our one-part series, uh, which we will hopefully, a, another thing that I, I've erased from my memory. And then, just before O'Neill was actually appointed, a lot of people forget about this. He was actually linked with Crystal Palace, wasn't he? And he was actually in talks with them. So it could have been a situation where Martin O'Neill never took the reins of Ireland. 
Yeah, um, he was in the band. Um, you know, Martin O'Neill always his name carried a lot of value and a lot of weight um, around the English game. Uh, clearly, though, manager in decline. And this was a guy who obviously was at Wickham, uh, had won two Coca-Cola cups with um, Leicester, and uh, won Coca-Cola and won Worthington Cup, I think it was. And then he was linked with. <clears throat> he got the Celtic job. And then his wife got very, very ill. And I think he was due to, he was very close to getting the England job, but he was too blunt <laughs> for the FA. Yeah. There's a shock. Um, and then, yes, he got the Aston Villa job and then walked out on the Aston Villa job. And then, you know, that obviously didn't do his reputation too well. And then all of a sudden he's at Sunderland, who apparently was a Sunderland fan as a kid. He got the job. I remember, I think, to beat Chelsea or something like that. I think on the first yeah. game, they got last-minute winner. And, every, you know, and he, he got he kept him up, did well, and then it sort of started to fall apart from the second season. So, um, And then he obviously got fired. He, he, he was in demand. Um, now, we were supposed to get him before Palace. He backed, I reckon he backed off the Ireland job. He was supposed to be put in charge uh, for the last two qualifiers at King. Uh, would get that was the rumor mill going around um but he backed off in early october and then all of a sudden it came up that um he was in talks of palace but that would break down uh, for various reasons maybe the longevity of the contract i'm not too sure and then all of a sudden um he was back in the running again and i i think we mentioned it on the last podcast about Dunphy um saying that he wouldn't mind having mick mccarthy back in charge but says of o'neill if he's acting the maggot and he doesn't really want the job we should look elsewhere there's plenty of fish in the sea which you know and funny enough this will come up again not in this episode mm-hmm. that we're going to do but this will come up again maybe into in maybe a next episode or the episode after that but this sort of behavior from martin o'neill would most definitely rear its ugly head again shall we say it was a recurrent theme, wasn't it? And the thing with Mick was, I don't think people realize how close Mick was actually getting the job because he was clearly disappointed when he wasn't appointed, wasn't he? Yeah. And, and Dick Advocate was another another manager who kind of expressed an interest, but I think the whole Rangers link and and he retired at at some stage from management. So so that, that was never really going to happen. But, but Mick was very, very close. And I think... A couple of interviews he did after, he did kind of express how, how disappointed he was. So He was very bitter, it. wasn't he? Yeah, very, very bitter about it. But di- dignified at the same time, I, I, I would say. But, but of course, Martin O'Neill then was appointed Ireland manager on the 5th of November 2030. And endorsed by Sir Alex Ferguson, who said Ireland had made a terrific appointment. So, of course, Fergie just retiring a couple of months before. So, sorry, David. No, I was just going to come in. I mean, obviously, the last one, uh, managerial appointment that Ireland made that he uh, commented on was the Stan Bobby Robson um, dream team. And uh, he said, yeah, definitely, that, that you know, this would be this is a great move for Ireland. And, uh, you know, we saw how that uh, turned out. So I'd always take with a pinch of salt. This is going to go up Martin's arse sideways. You know, massive <laughs> my United fan. But I'd always take it with a pinch of salt what Alex Ferguson says about Ireland, if I'm quite honest. Yeah, I think it's just it's just quite funny, really, isn't it? That even Fergie's uh, kind of view on Ireland's relevant, to be honest. But um, yeah, I don't really, I, I can't actually remember Alex Ferguson being asked about that. It's kind of news to me that he was ever asked about it. But um, yeah, he was a strange. He, he was a good appointment, O'Neill. Like I, I, I've always viewed him as the bookmaker's dream, basically. And he, for about a period of fifteen years in football, when he was probably at the top of his game, he was linked with any job. Uh, in the head of the market 
um, for who was going to be replacing any of the top four teams really in the the Premier League at the time. He was always he was favourite for Man United when I think Ferguson uh, said he was going to be leaving that time. Um, so he was always linked to jobs, and yeah, I think it was just something I think was always going to happen with Ireland that we would have him in the job. To be honest, and the Roy Keane appointment as well. I mean, something of a coup because I mean. Well, what we thought was a coup at the time, because, I mean, his last job wasn't with Ipswich and it didn't quite go to plan. But then a lot of people kind of said, well, he got the best out of Irish players at Sunderland. And from a personal perspective, I I remember watching Celtic because, I mean, Celtic would have been on the telly a lot on RTE. They would have been kind of free to air back in the kind of early noughties. They would have been on RTE and then they would have been kind of the, the UEFA Cup and stuff. So my kind of childhood memories were watching Roy Keane play. And Martin O'Neill gets Celtic to the the uh, UEFA Cup final against Porto. Porto, yeah, Mourinho, yeah, for, yeah. For, for for Celtic, yeah, against against Mourinho. So like for for me, this was like a nostalgic kind of you know wet dream in a way. <laughs> it was it was unbelievable. Probably my favorite ever player and probably my favorite ever manager coming together. And on the fifteenth of November, we play our first ever game under that regime against Latvia. So three 0 victory. Robbie Keane scoring the first goal. In the Martin O'Neill era, Aidan McGeady scoring a very, very rare goal and Shane Long completing the score. And so from that, lads, and, and something that I remember kind of vividly from that game was that, first of all, we, we weren't playing 4-4-2. I think we were playing like a 4-2-3-1. And I think we played, I don't know if Andy Reid played in the number 10 position or someone else played in the number 10 position. But I just remember thinking, one, he's playing, because Trapattoni went through that kind of unusual stage in, in his ladder kind of, Ireland career where he was playing lads out of position, wasn't he? Like he was playing, I think, Mark Wilson as a left back and he was playing Simon Cox as a left winger and he just went a, a little bit rogue, didn't he? And and a little bit what we what we saw with O'Neill in the latter stages of his Ireland career. But what we saw was a bit of structure. We saw probably our best 11 taken to the pitch for the first time in a long time. And there was a bit of a feel-go factor after what had been kind of a bleak couple of years, really. Uh-huh. It always amazes me, though, with with football and the hysteria that surrounds football, especially Irish football. I mean, we're seeing it now with with the current. I I won't say the name, just you know, I don't date. <laughs> I don't want to date this particular podcast, uh, but even the current regime, like the hysteria that follows Irish football, is just ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean, Trapattoni towards the end of his um regime was getting desperate. You know, he was losing control. He was trying to he was trying to throw shit up against the wall, see what would stick. He'd lost certain players. He hadn't adapted the system. He hadn't you know, he didn't really trust the younger players. And he was um and the same would happen, of course, spoiler alert to O'Neill, um, as time would go on. But uh, the way people were going on, it was amazing how they looked at O'Neill, you know, he was clearly a manager in decline. He had walked out on Villa, as I said, and obviously Sunderland had really exposed him and he didn't have John Robertson who was his normal assistant manager I think he'd lost him at Villa yeah, he had a heart like, attack didn't he yeah it was a bit like Clough uh, without his guy uh, Christ the name um, oh the name was just, what was his assistant manager the guy that uh, oh that's good people will be shouting at it yeah that's, the, oh, you know Clough's assistant at Forest was it John something, wasn't it? No? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, fuck. Uh, well, Rob, Rob, Robertson was a key cog, and even there's, there's yeah. a, a neighbour of mine who actually worked for Celtic as a scout. He would have brought Killian Sheridan over. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's a serious claim to fame there. But he, he said that, you know, while he was working for Celtic, 
he said that it was very clear that John Robertson was was pulling the strings on the pitch. He said O'Neill ran the club as as a Ferguson esque kind of manager. Decided who came into the club. Decided who left the club. Peter it was Taylor. very much yeah, Peter very, Taylor. That's it. Yeah. Peter Peter Taylor, the, the club club assistant, but but yeah. very much very much running the club as as a yeah. manager or a general manager, a little bit like how American clubs, American you know baseball and basketball clubs run things. And Robertson was very much the man on the pitch because this kind of blary Celtic side that that we kind of associated O'Neill with and that kind of flary Leicester side that would play three at the back and go very, very kind of kamikaze style. That was all Robertson's um, doing. And and this whole idea of playing wingers as wingbacks as, as opposed to fullbacks playing as wingbacks, that was all Robertson. And, and the tactics were all Robertson. O'Neill was the the subtle man manager. He was the guy who tied everything together. He's the guy who, who I suppose rubber stamped um, well, the, he... the the organization, but it was Robertson who actually who actually encouraged that more exciting style of play, particularly. It, it, it was written. I mean, it was written about O'Neill. Uh, as I said, this goes back to the hysteria. And speaking of hysteria, we'll, we'll we'll I mean, just for a start, the next game, the polling game, is a nil nil draw. I mean, Dunphy said it was the best arm performance in years. I remember my uncle saying that we looked like a Premier League team playing you know this is just this this whole theory that we have around Irish football um as I said it was a manager on the decline and yeah I mean he his name carried a lot of weight and Delaney was obviously paper papering over the cracks you know he was sellotaping Irish football instead of getting to the real uh root of the issue so you know another big name manager Trapatoni. I think I think and though another... I think at the time though this this was the perfect time for O'Neill because they'd be calling for yeah. They've been calling for O'Neill for years, so I mean, we can we can talk about yeah, it over the cracks, but but it, this was, was but this is the opportunity paper. to 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 actually yeah, appoint him. But, it was. but let's be honest, it was paper on the cracks, and then he didn't have um, John Robertson with him, so he brings in Roy Keane. Um, so Roy, Keane, <laughs> we're bringing in a guy who kind of bought his way, I suppose, to the to the title of Sunderland. Yet again, it's going to go Martin's our sideways, um, and then and then <laughs> what, what he did, you know, he, he bought. Bought his way, like he he, he had... didn't know, did he? I mean, he had a good squad there, but I mean, he. Daddy Bart, you, do you not remember no. on the, on a, what was it on transfer deadline day? And I remember sitting in the pub in Dublin. I think it was Messi Maguire's, and just looking up, and it was just like David Conley assigned, Graham Cavanagh assigned. He had good pros, good characters. He did, and... yeah, but he inherited a team that was completely bottom of the league, and then he got them up. So that's that's unheard of. Really. Now, let, yeah, but hold on, but they were bottom of the league because Noel Quinn was the manager. I mean, let's be honest. That's why they were bottom of the league. They weren't a bottom of the league club. And when he took over, Noel Quinn was in charge. He was the chairman and then sacked himself to put Roy Keane in charge. <laughs> that's what happened, lads. I'm sorry, that's what happened. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. I'm on one tonight, lads. I'm 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 definitely on one today. Um, but yeah, so they get this guy in, and then all of a sudden, you know, he failed miserably at Ipswich. All the stories come out, as they always do, about Keane, and he's just imagining everyone thinks that this is the, you know, hailed what was a bad cop and bad, bad cop. It did give a lift, you know, it did serve its purpose, but, you know, as we're going to find out, sure, we haven't even fucking, we haven't even got to the first qualifier yet, we're slating it, or I am at least. Um, I think, I think, I agree with you, I think it did give a lift, and I think it was exciting again for, like, fans to think they were again behind, like, let's be honest, a lot of Ireland fans have a close link with Man United, or Celtic, or Liverpool, uh, you know, and, and I think Martin O'Neill was a, Highly regarded, so he's there as manager, and Roy Keane coming in, in was it's box office basically, and that suited that suited the John Delaney ideal at that time. Um, 
you know, I would recommend anyone to obviously read Champagne Football by Mark Ty and Paul Rowan because it covers this, this period really, this yeah, this period really really well because I think um, you know, and, and you understand kind of what what was going on at the FAI basically that they appointed the two kind of high name high profile names for a purpose really was to keep sponsors coming in, keep money coming into the FAI, and you know, hopefully, you know, he as you can see we. I mean, I know we haven't spoken about the football yet, but if you look at the squad he inherited, which was obviously the latter part of the Trapattoni era, um, they were still a very competitive squad. Like, great players were in that squad still. You know, really high-level experienced pros. All right, maybe someone would come into the end of their careers uh, at their peak, but they were still there, and they actually proved they could qualify for a tournament, and he was the one who actually got them there. So it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a really interesting kind of period, I think, in this one. Yeah, so following that nil-nil draw against Poland with an outstanding attendance of three and a half thousand fans, <laughs> unbelievable! <laughs> and it, it was it was one of the best games uh, we played in years, as Dunphy said. I don't know about that. It was I think Paul Green got man the match, which kind kind of says it all. So we finished the we finished the rankings in twenty thirteen in sixty seventh, which you know is horrendous compared to where we are now and people are giving out about us being 50th player of the year was Robbie Keane and the young player of the year was James McCarthy who actually started getting a bit of game time under um under Trapattoni for once so the start of 2014 so we might just discuss this briefly lads so John Delaney saying that the FAI debt may not be cleared by 2020 <laughs> he he had a crystal ball did he yeah, I mean, what were the chances of that? Eh? Probably the only uh, true words to come out of that man's mouth, uh, quite frankly. Allegedly. <laughs> He's the last thing you hear. I was over here somewhere in London at the moment. Uh, yeah. Um, God almighty, when you look back, that's one of the things, lads, when you go through and you do all the notes on this, like some of the things you read, you're just shaking your head. And you know what? Spoiler alert again, folks. When you hear this, wait till you hear some of the stuff we're going to come out in this. This is absolutely gas. <laughs> you know, just when, when you think now where we are in 2021 and then you look back at some of this, it's it's unbelievable, especially with the, with the whole Grealish situation. Madness. So, of course, the Euros draws May, so we draw Germany, who'd absolutely taunt us in the last qualifiers, Poland, Scotland, Georgia and Gibraltar. And just before our next couple of qualifiers or our next couple of friendlies rather in, in the March where we actually, you know, we, we speak about the current regime and bad, a bad string of results. We certainly weren't in any good shape going into the Euros campaign, but something that might pop up in people's memories is that Alan Pardew and David Myler decided to have a scrap just before the, just before <laughs> the Serbia match. So of course, Pardew, who was Pardew in charge of? Was it, um, was it Newcastle, Newcastle at the time. David Moyler with Hull and they had a little tussle on the pitch, didn't they? But that was just before Ireland played Serbia in the March. So a 2-1 loss at Lansdowne Road. So Shane Long opening the scoring very early on. And then a James McCarthy on goal and a Philippe Jodovic goal um, ending Ireland's unbeaten run under O'Neill. The two-game unbeaten run. So the other thing that people forget, lads, as I said, the, the following game, we lose to Turkey at home as well. So John Walter scoring scoring in that and um, kind of scoring a consolation goal. We didn't look very convincing in the early stages of the, the O'Neill era, did we? Particularly after that Christmas period. No, I think he had a team on the floor, really, didn't he? Um, you know, you always get that. As funny enough, Pardew would say that new manager bounce and then, you know, the real work comes in. And I think the, the shortcomings of the squad were 
were there for everybody to see. Um, so, yeah, I remember. Although I do remember, actually, that Serbia game. I think we were quite lucky in that. We were very good in that match, if I remember correctly. Um, and we yeah, were quite, Serbia. Yeah, I thought we were quite good. And then um, that we were kind of unfortunate to, to lose that game, I think. But, I mean... It was, it was one of those where we were still kind of suffering those... Trapatoni murmurs, weren't we? It was the whole idea yeah. when we score an early goal. And the squad was point. limited. Yeah, and the squad was obviously limited. But I think we we're kind of lucky there. But yeah, I mean, the squad was was in an absolute state. And players hadn't been brought through. They should have been brought through. Or they hadn't been brought through. Uh, yet again, the parallels uh, with the latter part of uh, Trapatoni and what we'll discuss in an episode or two. Uh, time are incredible. But uh, yeah, it was just, you know, we were seeing a lot of players hadn't been brought through or, or, where but far too late by Trapatoni and yeah, um, we were starting to see the the uh, shockwaves of that, shall we say? Or the yeah, and, and sandwich in between those two losses. So another Stephen Ireland saga. So Martin O'Neill was very keen to get him back, from what I hear, from what I believe anyway. And apparently Stephen Ireland just didn't pick up the phone. So I mean, was it only about three or four years ago Stephen Ireland said he's been available for Ireland for a long time, and I think he was actually available for Ireland when Martin O'Neill was kind of at the latter stages of his his Ireland career. The fact that he didn't pick up the phone, it kind of speaks volumes. But anyway, we've kind of dwelled on that man a lot, haven't we? So coming into May, so Roy Keane linked with the Celtic job and Dermot Desmond apparently saying that the job was his if he wanted it. But of course, remaining with Ireland and nothing really came of that. And we managed to kind of stem the flow of the losses. So a nil-nil draw against Italy in Craven Cottage, uh, where, which is their kind of unofficial home away from home, isn't it, lads? Yeah, this was yeah. just just on that. That that was that was good actually going to that game. Um, Italy were off to the World Cup. That'd be right. World Cup, yeah, yeah. twenty fourteen. So, yeah, it was interesting, and I think um, yeah, like for you know us in London, able to go to the game again. But um, little story on this on the the Roy Keane the speculation about the Celtic job was. Um, this is a little story about the FAI here on, on, and their great promotion of Irish football. Um, obviously, based in London, Rich London chairman, as I am now, we got invited to a dinner. Oh, no, sorry, breakfast the day after the Italy-Republic of Ireland match in a hotel in Piccadilly, central London. Um, and it was with all the kind of uh, faces, I suppose, of anyone with Irish links and business in, in London. Uh, was invited so you can imagine subbies and big contractors and all that kind of stuff I remember you know Allard Irish Bank I think well, they were still going then I think they were invited but there was the breakfast with um, going to be with Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill and um, so it was all very nice we got invited we were given a table to go to it so we had a few of our members went down there and um, Roy Keane came in smart as anything lovely suit looked immaculate to be honest looked like a million dollars and uh then Martin O'Neill comes in, jeans and a polo shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and the contrast was quite something. I thought, I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. The guy from Sky did the kind of Q&A kind of thing and drove it all forward. But yeah, that, that morning, though, was the whole thing of, that was the kind of scoop of Roy Keane being asked about the Celtic job and him saying, oh, I'm, I've turned it down. I was offered it, um, but he was sticking with Ireland. Um, Martin O'Neill spoke, you know, gave us the usual kind of stories of, uh, Clough and things like that, all very interesting. Keane was in brilliant form. Um, and what I, what I like telling this story is um, Keane was really, like I say, he was in great form with us. And we were, Ireland were due to play Georgia in our in the qualifying campaign 
in September and he was chatting to us like members of the club came over sat with us at the table um asking like have you been there before just really really good form and then you know I went home I went to work then that earlier that morning um turned on Sky News Sky Sports News that afternoon and it you know it was all Roy Keane's turned down the Celtic job and I could see Roy Keane on the screen coming out of the same hotel we'd been in like two hours before and giving the Roy Keane stare to the Sky uh, camera who dared to look at him it was absolutely brilliant like just seeing the, the contrast of Roy Keane's character I, I love in how, like a few hours I, I love how you describe him he came in immaculate he looked gorgeous he was man he was zipping the fly yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what though he was in absolutely brilliant form he was so like funny and, and just he's probably like an absolute wanker and you just saw him no like, no 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 he was I've met him and he's been that way like he's been contrary before but no he was in great form honestly he was you, I just you, I was amazed that it's interesting like what the fans go to and stuff I think he just he, he didn't really like the whole um like I think he obviously knew that these are like kind of moves and shakers probably in the business world but he actually wasn't too bothered about them he was more chatting to us because we were actually when I introduced ourselves said look we're all going we go to games we were in it we were at the game last night we were we're off here and stuff because you remember they were going off on the tour weren't they the next few games that's where they were going off to they had uh they were was it America they went to yeah I went to the States yeah yeah, I have to laugh though. Like obviously, he was expected to be announced as Celtic boss, and didn't love him as much or whatever he wanted to. But you know, there was a bit there you kind of skipped over. Uh, maybe Martin's had a word with you, Nick, about uh, David Myler reckons Roy was sort out many night. I always love that. And Breen actually, I know he's not on this particular episode, but you know, man after my own heart with this sort of stuff. Like you know, utter bollocks. Former player, he'd sorted out. He Bit of our slicking. Inside out. You know what I mean? Like, would you get off that fucking stage? Would you, just because a player played for a club doesn't mean you can sort it out. You know, you know any. Oh, couldn't look, even sort look, Looking after his fellow Cork man. And, yeah, that's what it yeah. is. Yeah. Look, trying to trying to suck up to the manager and the assistant because he knows that he's not going to get his game. Exactly. Did you, see, did, you, did you see here, though, actually, just as it gone back down the 12th of March, John Delaney said he was giving out about top players' wages, saying you're outrageous. Yeah, I just did that. Great, sorry, unbelievable <laughs> stuff. So, so just moving on to the US tour, so don't have to dwell on this oh, too much because oh, it was, it was certainly Nick, one to Nick go on, have a look at the third of June. Now, come on, third of June, Roy Keane pulls out of ITV punditry for the World Cup. I was going to come on to that, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> because he was going to join Aston Villa as assistant manager, so that's what I was going to come on to, David. But not to worry, not to worry, spoiler alert. So we go to the States. Oh. <laughs> Yo, we go, you, you, hold on, but what's the same brackets? Open goal for a quip. Open goal for a quip. Like, open goal, David, man. you know, David, you know, I have no sense of humor. And you know that I'm not I'm not oh. quick at these things. Lying on your wit again, David. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 up, open goal. Ah. Yeah, there we go. I get it. So got, what David, a... what David means is that. Roy Keane pulled out of the ITV punditry gig for the World Cup in a similar way to 2002. See, what I was going to say there, folks. Was, it's late. It's late. It, I, it, I, I, I forgot we qualified for Euro 2012 earlier. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it wouldn't be like Roy Keane to pull out of a World Cup. Hey! <laughs> Um, oh. And Martin was losing the shit because I'm slagging off Keane again. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we started just absolutely fucking hell out. This is like watching Gillette Soccer Saturday. Um, <laughs> the I know it's it's guy. it's still better. It's still better. It's still better. So we go to the states, 
as I said, I won't forget a 1-1 draw with Costa Rica after we were leading through a Kevin Doyle goal. I think Kevin Doyle nearly got decapitated in that game from what I remember. And then a 5-1 loss to Portugal with Stephen Ward responsible for at least three of the goals from what I remember as well. Um, sorry, I'm not allowed to like Stephen Ward anymore. Am I? And James McLean, of course, getting his first international goal as Portugal absolutely hammered us. So we've improved since 2014, haven't we? Because we only lost 2-1 in Faro last month. Fair <laughs> assumption. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't agree with you, Nick. But uh... Uh, we'll we'll take we'll take what we can get. We'll take what we can get. So again, that game was in Boston in East Rutherford in that massive stadium. I think it's the New England Patriots Stadium. So on the second of June, Roy Keane finally becomes the Aston Villa manager after pulling out of a World Cup for a second time, and the FAI AGM. So no questions about the Aviva mortgage or Dennis O'Brien's contribution answered. So um, not like John Delaney to no comment a um a massive meeting or, or anything like that is there and then on the 31st of july of 2014 richard dunn announcing his retirement from ireland so i think he was was he a free agent at that stage lads and he was kind of in between uh villa and qpr or, or, or was he yeah was he just about to retire altogether i can't really remember myself i think he was at qpr last stage and he was in a really bad way like he, he just he wasn't really i don't think he played for the season actually and i think he was trying to get his qpr career back on track or on track yeah so just coming into the into the qualifiers themselves, we have one friendly, the John Delaney Derby, Ireland beating Oman 2-0 <laughs> in the Aviva, Kevin Doyle and Alex Pierce scoring. But but just before that, the provisional squad that was actually named for that, for that uh, those fixtures. And of course, the qualifier against Georgia. Jack Grealish was expected to be named in that squad. So, of course, he's just played in the European Championships for England. And, and this is kind of the start of the end, wasn't it? Well, I mean, I'm not being funny, but also in that same squad, Shea Given was brought in at the age of 38 and made yeah. number one. Um, yeah, this is the start of it now. This is the, I don't know what's, you know, we're going to see uh, over the next few minutes, we're going to see a lot of Jack Grealish and Martin O'Neill. Yeah, the father starts to become a, a real major figure now. He was on the periphery, now he's a major player in this um, uh, whole mess, debacle, I suppose. And he's constantly in the players' ear advising them, you know. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately... Tim Sherwood I, as well. I mean, yeah, because Villa manager at the time, wasn't he? Ended up becoming a massive a massive influence on him, unfortunately. Well, not Tactics yet. Tactics him. Not yet, because uh, Paul Lambert, Lambert was still there. And, yeah. and also, it, it needs to be mentioned that... And, and to be fair, with the whole balance side of it, Paul Lambert doesn't really play Jack Grealish. Yeah. And Lambert's still the manager. So O'Neill was very cool to make any it doesn't matter how much promise he showed for the under 21s only it was very cool to sort of go near him because obviously who's the number two at uh, Villa yeah Mr Keane so we start the European Championship qualifiers then so a 2-1 victory against Georgia and you know an an unbelievable performance from Aidan McGeady probably his best performance in an Irish shirt so opening the scoring on 24 minutes equaliser by Georgia and then of course that little turn and shot in stoppage time (sighs) Yeah. As we beat Georgia 2-1. And it really felt like Martin O'Neill ball, didn't it? You know, that was a very... Div- it still is a very difficult place to go to, Belize, isn't it? I think we've only taken kind of mm. two points from the last two visits. So that was huge. Were you at that one, Martin? No, I wasn't. I was actually at the All Ireland that day. Uh, I know uh, Dave, Dave will love that as a, a big bar <laughs> fan. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was at the All Ireland. So um, in Croke Park. But I remember watching it in the pub. 
the famous pub there. It's gone now, actually. I was surprised it's gone. Hill 16. Um, no, oh, the, the, the big one, tree. No. Oh, Jesus, this is Pubs of Dublin podcast. Um, uh, I can't remember what it is. It's Quinn's, maybe, no? I'm not sure. Um, Quinn's, but, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I remember watch, leaving the Pro Park and then going to watch the the game, basically. And I was, you know, it was just show you again where, I know we were having a little bit of a moan about the GA earlier, but no one was really bothered watching it in the pub I was. Because um, I was I'm obviously going to go there. I'm surprised yeah. actually loud the Ireland match you played within like a mile radius of Croke mm. Park. Not some rule there on the <laughs> all Ireland final, they'll, they'll lynch you or put you in a I, wicker man or something. Or I remember going absolutely mad though, like and, and like in the pub, like when McGeady got the goal because it was a brilliant goal, wasn't it? Do you remember the little turn and then yeah, unbelievable goal? And um, yeah, I mean that is the the the, the main thing he ever did, really. You know, I know over a hundred is it a hundred caps? Not many goals. Uh-huh. Um, flatter to deceive, uh, big time, but um. Yeah, I remember going absolutely mad and thinking, why is no one else really going apeshit like I am? But uh, there you go. But yeah, yeah. Um, no, I wasn't I am. Yeah, so just a couple of days later then, so Jack Grealish saying that he wanted to put his international future on hold. And this is something that never gets mentioned, lads, never. And something that fucking pissed me off at the time. So Stephen Quinn calling him a fake paddy, I think, when, when Hull were playing Aston Villa. And we speak about this in, in, with the current stuff that we do. And Martin, this is probably one that, that, that you probably didn't like to see. And we talk about, you know, sledging and a bit of banter on the pitch and all that kind of thing. But, but if that's the reception that they're getting, you know, if the likes of Grealish or the likes of Rice are getting, I mean, the, the Roy Keane kind of, you know, you're not even Irish comments to Harry Arter that Declan Rice would have heard on... on on Ireland duty and, and Stephen Quinn mm-hmm. calling Grealish a fake paddy and stuff. I mean, that's not the welcome we want to give some of the, the most talented, yeah. that, um, that, eligible players, is it? That was something I wanted to ask you, Martin, as a fake paddy yourself. I mean, how would that make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're an honorary Englishman, you are. You're over here now. I, I can't get out of the fucking country. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, I agree completely with you, and that that is a big thing. And it, it's it's sometimes I kind of think even, you know, the, the it's more of an insecurity of of the kind of Irish born to they're trying to secure their own places. I think sometimes in, in when that kind of comes to light, because you know some of these players who are you know anti anyone who or diaspora basically uh, are trying to protect their own international careers, but they weren't very good players themselves. Yeah, usually a bit of an identity crisis themselves. Mm. So a couple of days later, we played Gibraltar. Breen and I were actually at this game. We both ended up in Coppers that night. A dark, dark day for the two of us. And I won't even I won't even mention what Breen got up to that night. So Robbie Keane scoring a hat-trick after 18 minutes. James McLean scoring a double. Wes Houlihan with his first, no, his second international goal as far as I know. And then Jordan Perez, the goalkeeper, with an own goal. And from what I remember, Perez got subbed off. And then that night, I in Coppers, I actually added him on Facebook and was fucking messaging him. Not anything erotic or anything like that, but just um, it was very surreal um, to be messaging a goalkeeper who'd been subbed off. All, all in good banter, though. All in good banter. And then just a couple of days later, Ireland securing a fantastic one-all draw with Germany in Gelsenkirchen. So John O'Shea scoring a stoppage time goal after Tony Cruz had opened the scoring. An excellent result, lads, wasn't it? And it kind of... It, it, it kind of in, encapsulated that whole idea of the late drama so the Georgia game and then all of a sudden John O'Shea with popping up with only a second international goal I, I, I remember this game a very fond memory of this game actually the, the performance we were terrible uh, they 
battered us. Germany did, if I remember correctly. We we were awful, but Germany very poor. Yeah, and have to, you have to remember Germany, who were the world champions, had a people say, oh, they're the world champions, David. How can yeah? Well, Germany had a slew of retirements as well, and I think um, Poland uh, had beaten them or would beat them. But right. Scotland, Scotland drove them very close. Scotland did drive them very co- close. Yeah, but Poland beat them in Germany, I think, or they beat in Poland. So, yeah, it was a great result. Don't get me wrong, it was a fantastic result and the drama of it in the 94th minute. But, you know, yet again, people are going to be listening to Dave, why he's so negative. But I have to call it as it is. Um, but it was a great result and on John O'Shea's 100 cap. But I also, on a personal note, um, uh, for me, actually, I don't know if I've shared this story on, on the podcast before, but um, I remember when the goal went in, I was watching it in, in my um, the house over here in London where I used to live with my dad. And um, I remember when we went in, like, I just went mental. And my dad, like, just popped in and uh, he knew I was watching the match and he goes, I, I take it he scored. And I went, yeah, you know, and I was like, fucking, you never, you know, amazing 94 minutes. But, you know, I, I didn't realize that, Jesus, about six weeks later, like, he'd be dead. You know, and I always, I always yeah. remember that. Um, yeah, he died of a botched fucking operation um, in a London hospital, and uh, yeah, and I always just kind of remember that when I think of that game, I just think of him just popping into my room. I can see him now, just popping in. He used to do that. He used to just like, slant, you know, fucking get the door open. Good thing I didn't have Pornhub or something on. You know, you coming in. <laughs> one of our, one of our yeah. sponsors, of course. <laughs> Your erotic fucking Martin was erotic fantasies of uh, Roy, Roy Keane. Keane. You and the, the Callum I doubt it. I mean, trying to get, get a fucking cheeky one before the match, and you know, that, you see, they wouldn't even knock, he just boom, <laughs> he just come in. It's like, oh, hello, uh, yeah. And I just always remember that. And when I think of that goal, I just think of him just popping his head in, going, geez, I'll take you, scored. And you know, I'm silly, I know, but just you know, ah, poignant, a poignant match for you, David. Yeah. And of course, John O'Shea's Hunter Cap and. Most notably, Jack Grealish tweeting, "Come on, you boys in green." <laughs> yeah, that, that, that age, that age, well, didn't it? Yeah, it's not like another player made that same mistake or something like know, that. Or, or saying up the raw or whatever. Never, never happened. Never happened, did it? And then the Irish Times actually saying that Jack Grealish had had selected Ireland and wanted to prove himself to get a place in Martin O'Neill's squad. But of course, again, another story that aged very, very well. And coming up to the the next international break then or the next international window for the game against Scotland and the game against the USA in the friendly so the squad was announced and Jack Grealish again Martin O'Neill saying that his father uh, Jack Grealish's father wanted him to stay with the under 21s and I don't think he was in the under 21 squad either and prior to that Scotland match wasn't there ticketing issues with with John Delaney and a bit of a tiff with the, the Scottish FA yeah um that was right. They, because Martin, you, you might be a bit more equipped to deal with this one. Um, yeah, he problem was with with this. Um, yeah, it was this 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 whole ticket debacle basically came about with. Um, it goes back to the Georgia game. So the Georgia tickets that that trip. I've, we've got to get some of the lads from the, which landed onto one of the podcasts about that trip because the Georgia stories I've heard and I heard them all again recently when we were on the trip to. Faro for Portugal game um, is one of the best stories of like some of the best stories I've heard from a trip. It's just incredible. Um, but basically, the the problems with the Scotland game was everyone who went to Georgia was promised that you'd get a ticket for Scotland. 
That's what the FAI said at the collection point, basically, in Tbilisi. And they couldn't fulfil that. So <laughs> that's why there was a lot of anger <laughs> later on. And yeah, they're not you know, keeping promises. Never. Yeah, and I mean, that, yeah, I mean, it, again, covered really well in the Champagne Football book. Um, John Delaney blamed Scottish FA because of security reasons they wouldn't sell tickets. And, you know, the, the FAI apparently brought up uh, VIP tickets to, to kind of use and everything like that. And, yeah, lots of little underhand deals with allocations that he he was going into. But really politicising very much and pissing off the Scottish. Um, and I think Delaney was doing a lot of stupid things then. It, it came into um, even the return game against Scotland later on, you know, like where the seating for the dinner was when you host the associations. Yeah. Delaney was messing around with that and really just pissed them um, off. And the thing is, like, you had no right to make that um, because you have to give, isn't it, 10% or 5% allocation of your whatever your... Um, yeah. Your your attendant like whatever your um your capacity is yeah so Scarlett said no we want we want to look after our own fans and you know th- th- and listen okay you might look at it as a bit of a dick move um because it was in Parkhead or Celtic Park whatever it's called mm. you know but yeah they that that is well within their means they can't do that and then I think you said that like oh how you're gonna have Irish fans now in a Scottish section and it's gonna be chaos. And then uh, I think they moved it up to a Category B game, which meant like police everywhere. And all of a sudden, mm. the cost for the SFA went up exponentially, um, which I thought was kind of humorous. But was it, I, I actually didn't see this game. I was working at Fulham. Um, if I remember correctly, I think I was doing like USA Columbia at Fulham. <laughs> I couldn't get out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a tense game. It was just you know Celtic Park and the whole return of Roy Keane, return of Martin O'Neill, James McLean was there, Aidan McGeady was playing against Scotland for yeah, the first Ma- time ever. McGeady got loads of abuse, didn't he? He got, got loads of abuse. abuse. Yeah. And again, James, James McCarthy wasn't playing. And I remember looking at that lineup, and I think it was probably our best available lineup, with the exception of Stephen Ward playing left back. Robbie <laughs> Brady probably should have played in there. But I remember we played four four two. It was really rigid, but it was really organised. And Scotland were just really fluid. It was Gordon Strachan, wasn't it? There, I think Andrew yeah. Robertson had just had just kind of come into the team. And Akechi Anya, as you remember him, he was just absolutely destroying um, Stephen Ward. And then Stephen Fletcher, wasn't it? The the centre forward and Stephen Naismith. I just remember Naismith was playing kind of in that number 10 role and he was just dropping into the pockets and he was absolutely destroying us. And then Sean Maloney, like how fitting, a Celtic player, um, scoring the goal with 15 minutes to go, just yeah. a, a really, really well worked goal. But I think, I think it actually was Robbie Brady who didn't close him down. And I mean, it, it was one of them. Like it was a cruel blow, wasn't it? Because that's our that's our local rival. And as I said, it was a tense game, but it was a nice setting. Because uh, remember, I spoke about that whole nostalgic aspect of Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill for me. You know, being my favorite player, my favorite manager as a kid, I, I used to love Celtic Park. And all of a sudden, Ireland are playing there, and it was just everything was kind of coming together. The lineup was good feeling really really hopeful and I think um, I think Wes Houlihan was actually out of that game because O'Neill I think played him in the previous couple of games against Germany and, and Gibraltar so he wasn't there and that kind of changed the shape I think I think he went with Shane Long and John Walters up front and it just it was just a little bit too rigid but yeah I think after that game a lot of people ruled this out of qualification already they kind of said look this Scotland team just looked very very dangerous and again as I said like they should, they should have beaten Germany they should have actually beaten Germany in Germany so it was certainly, uh, certainly a very slow start to the campaign altogether um, after a couple of really, really good results. 
Yeah, another sad thing to mention though from that that game was remember the the fan got killed at the game. There was yeah, a fan yeah. died. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, That's right. Yeah, yeah, that was that was very sad. I remember the aftermath of it. But yeah, sorry to bring on the downer. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I just no, remember no. that from it. Yeah, yeah, and it, what I remember like um obviously going, I've never been to Celtic Park before, and um I was it was just quite lively atmosphere up there and obviously the Rangers Celtic thing and stuff like that but I was I, I was amazed at first of all how cheap it was no wonder like Scottish people have reputation for drinking because like, I remember like we were in this pub and it was like two pound a pint of tenants it's absolutely rank but we were drinking anyway but yeah it's a lively little spot isn't it Glasgow and yeah it's quite crazy it was, it was a good trip though but the result went, went against us and we knew we were under pressure then to to kind of qualify it was really disappointing because we would have probably taken a draw and it was just one of them cage. It was a little bit like, um, you know, a cup final, a derby, which it was in a way. Someone it was going to be a little bit of magic that won it. And that's what obviously happened. Yeah. And then just a couple of days before the, the USA game. So the friendly against the USA. So a lot of kind of words about Jack Grealish. So Martin O'Neill suggesting that the Scotland game was too big to throw in Jack Grealish. Cause I suppose a lot of reporters and a lot of journalists would have, raise the question, should we just cap him? You know, should we just cap him and tie him down? But again, Martin O'Neill is just a quote from him. So the game against Scotland is too big. To throw him into a game like that will be tough. You're talking about guys eight or nine years older being nervous going into a game like the Scotland game. And then when Roy Keane was asked about it the night before the USA match, he said, I don't ask Jack anymore. Just remember, he was Aston Villa's assistant manager at the time. Sometimes it's respect. You don't want to pester people. Unfortunately, a lot will be coming from Jack's dad. Knowing his dad, we could be waiting a bloody long time. So that kind of set the tone. That's, yeah, Roy Roy was a naughty boy, wasn't he? He'd released his book um, early October, uh, 9th of October. And, of course, that created headlines, which sort of uh, went over the uh, the game against Gibraltar to the 7-0 because he had the big interview with Kilban and the, the big thing at the Aviva and his big beard. And then you had the fracas with... Um, Frank Gillespie, who follows me on Twitter. Frank, if you're listening, thank you very much for following me on Twitter. Although you, I'd love it if you responded to some of my messages. But anyway. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, and obviously that was in Scotland, wasn't it? Because he released that book and Roy just went mad for him and, and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, Roy really, really started to come into his own um, and making headlines. Yeah, so that USA game, a 4-1 victory, a very impressive uh, victory and probably the first time we saw the the diamond formation used by Martin O'Neill which which proved to be very very successful in a few of our games so Anthony Pilkington scoring Robbie Brady scoring a brace an excellent brace I think one was a free kick and the other yeah. I, think, I think Dave McGoldrick it was his debut I think he back heeled it into him and then James McLean scoring late on so I think mixed mixed disc screw had equalized after a really bad David Myler mistake um, that, that he brushed off very quickly and saying how great he was because he managed to captain Ireland that night. But anyway, won't give that man any more airtime. So this is where the whole kind of Everton and Ireland uh, no, war Everton, kind of starts. Everton and Keane war starts. Just <laughs> Fair enough. Just a little, little bit of O'Neill. So, of course, um, so uh, Mart- Jesus, what's his first name? Martina, R- Roberto Martinez. So Roberto Martinez is the the manager at the time of Everton. Of course, has Seamus Coleman, has James McCarthy. I think he has Aidan McGeady as well, even though he didn't really give him much game time, didn't he? And he would have had Darren Gibson as well. So Martin, or, sorry, Roberto Martinez again saying that Roy Keane 
claiming uh, Irish players being encouraged to miss a game is absolute rubbish. So saying that Keane has suggested that they should miss Everton games to be fit for Ireland duty is absolute rubbish. And then just a week later, Roy Keane quits the Aston Villa uh, assistant manager's role. And of course, he's kind of said that in recent years that he just didn't really like being being an assistant, did he? He wanted to kind of be a number one. So that brought in the end of 2014. And 2015, thankfully, brought it a lot more joy. So on the 30th of January, so Roy Keane involved in a road rage incident with a taxi driver in Altrincham when he was on his way to buy dog food. For Triggs, was it? If I uh, don't know, I think Triggs was gone at this stage, sadly. Triggs possibly, too. Possibly Triggs too. So Keane be found not guilty in court in June and the judge slammed the CPS for bringing the case to court in the first place. So 22nd of March, so a good gap between the, the games. So the FAI awards, John Walters got the player of the year. Jack Grealish wins the under-21 player of the year, just like a certain Declan Rice. I think don't know if they should have to get those awards back. And says he can't wait to play in the green shirt. That age well, didn't it? And Robbie Brady getting the young player of the year. So, 26th of March, Stephen Quinn called up to the Irish squad after six years. And um, just a few months after calling Jack Grealish a plastic paddy. Good thing we took Stephen Quinn over Jack Grealish. So, <laughs> 29th of March... We resumed the qualifiers, a 1-1 draw with Poland. So Shane Long, again, with the third stoppage time uh, goal mm. in this campaign to get us a result. So Poland taking the lead after 26 minutes, long scoring um, in the 91st minute. And James McLean uh, amputating one of the Polish players. But again, just showed the bit of grit, lads, didn't it? It was O'Neill Ball at that stage. Yeah, and I think, if I remember correctly, the shot... It was it was very slow reactions from Given. I mean, it was a hard shot, but Given was obviously knocking on the door, nearly forty. And I remember actually around this time thinking this guy had no business. I loved Shay Given, loved him as a player. He's thirty eight, and you had David Ford who got kind of screwed over a little bit. I think at this stage, I don't think he did much wrong. Yeah. And then you had obviously Darren Randolph who was knocking on the door um at this time as well and i thought it, 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 it was funny with shay because you look at a lot of goalkeepers and even someone like uh, mark schwarzer who was around mm. at the time was actually a few years older and he was still playing and playing well you know given playing really worse. really well yeah i think given had given just slowed down like a lot of didn't he have a knee injury didn't he have a back injury? yeah he, so it was a lot of things like that were, were he, becoming very very evident he was never the same after the injury in man city and he never was really the same after that. So he was very unlucky. A, a player that always had a great record in terms of injuries. Like he'd, he'd always be, yeah. um, you know, he'd, 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 he was never injured. I, I can't remember during his heyday. And then he just got them laid on. And unfortunately, it, 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 he lost a few steps, quite frankly. And he had no business being in charge. And I remember thinking at the time, like, why is this guy our number one? Like he had a very poor Euros 2012, the one that you forgot um yeah i think I've, you had no business you'd, yeah you know you had no business being in goal for that um i remember again it wasn't a great match wasn't a great performance i think poland um could have actually won by a couple if i remember correctly yeah got a, that's right that's been a goal um, the polish team that yeah you know and we were still i think we were, we were a little bit adrift at this stage weren't we just looking there yeah i i think that's it like just to go through the table so poland on 11 points germany on 10 points scotland on 10 points and us on eight points and it, it was that kind of stage where a lot of fans were saying look we're not going to euro 2016 i was about to say euro 2012 uh, as far <laughs> as i'm concerned that never happened did it but 
Euro 2016, we just weren't weren't going. And it was um, again, it wasn't just the it wasn't just the fact that we were only a couple of points adrift. It was the performances as well, and the fact that mm. you know this was the third game where a last minute goal had to kind of get us out of jail. And I think there was some kind of statistic that we were kind of only scoring goals in the six yard box, something along those lines. I mean, the old count wants to go in, I suppose. But Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know. Yeah, really. In the context of qualifying for the Euros, you know, that was such an important goal, and it was that like Shane Long's goal. It was. I mean, I remember the atmosphere that night. It was. It was amazing. Uh, also, you know, I know you'll come on to cover it about like um, some of the FAI fi- finances. But what was interesting is we. Um, we we always we had season tickets. Our, our season tickets were up in the premium level, and that was obviously with the Polish community in Ireland. There was a high demand for tickets that night, and I remember sitting very close to like a, a, a evidently a Poland fan who jumped up when uh, Pesco scored his goal, um, and you know kind of got chatting to my half time. Like you know, just a few Irish fans were quite concerned from a security perspective. They was very mixed up there, um, wow. and. You know, inquired about, oh, like, where'd you get your ticket and stuff? And, you know, basically he said, he goes, oh, I got it off, you know, from the FA Ireland. Um, and it was, you know, 100 euro. So that's what they were making at the time for those premium level tickets. Right. And people were willing Still to pay it, but, Yeah, yeah, but it didn't seem to matter that, you know, season ticket Irish fans are up there and, and this is what you're... Didn't really matter about segregation or anything like that then, you know. So it was, it was just something that stuck with me that night. Be honest. Well, it's a good thing that nothing more controversial will come out about the FAI this particular year, lads, isn't it? <laughs> if you're, well, I think if, you're forgetting something there. Uh, after the, um, you know, the, the after the American game is when uh, we had the famous sing song in a pub within the vicinity of uh, oh, yeah. the stadium. <laughs> Yeah, we did, didn't we? And uh, when yeah. they reported this particular um, secretarian, uh, some of our rebel song, I suppose, not secretarian, not, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the wrong word, a rebel song. Um, yeah, he denied it, didn't he? Yeah, I uh, believe that the singer couldn't be identified correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah whoever this masked stranger was. <laughs> the masked singer. <laughs> yeah. So again, more Jack Grealish uh, drama. So on the 21st of May, Roy Hodgson confirmed that England were after Jack Grealish. So it was uh, it, this campaign, like we, we talk about the ups and downs of the, the 2016 campaign and the fact that we actually, spoiler alert, but we actually got there in the end. But a lot of the narrative was around Jack Grealish. Like he, he dominated every single squad announcement, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Martin, go ahead. No, go on. Sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, we were, we, there was a massive dearth of talent in the Ireland team. To be to be fair, you know, as we said, a lot of that a lot of that was down to the previous regime, and I don't care what anyone says. Um, you know, sellotape football, sellotape managers, and rock star wages, and O'Neill was another um, was another version of that. Really, uh, to be honest, he was just another participant in that style of management. And when you do that, you sort of you allow things to sort of rot or you allow things, uh, you know, you go asleep at the wheel. And this was another case of this. Like we were losing, this was slipping away. But when you have a manager who, um, and he admits this later on, actually, when we know what happens, happens. But you have a manager here who doesn't really rate the guy because his assistant manager is 
um, at a club where the manager isn't really playing him. But yet you see him for the under-21s. You see what he's doing week in, week out. We all knew, everyone knew about this guy. I'm sure you all knew about him at the time, that this guy was uber-talented. And you see the players become now. Went for £100 million to Man City, played in, in the European Championship. And he, he looks like a proper player, Jack Grealish. And O'Neill just didn't really go after him. He didn't bother going after him. And England thought, you know what, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we should we should be moving everything to get this guy in. You know, like he's been advised. I think he wanted to play for him, but he's been advised by his dad. And I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but it just it just frustrates me when, when I look back at it. And we needed players like him. We really desperately needed players like him. A bit of creativity. But then when you have, and I dare say, at this stage, Martin O'Neill would be, I suppose, in a way, a foreign manager. Born on the island of Ireland, um, grew up in Derry, so you know he might as well, yeah, obviously from very nationalist background. However, he had cut his teeth in management in in England, and would come over to Ireland and kind of look at a job and sort of go, "These guys can't play football. If we're going to get anywhere, we need to play like with ten men behind behind the ball," which is what we did um, for the vast majority under Trap and the vast majority under O'Neill, and it was that sort of attitude. Because we're paying this guy to come in and save us and do us a favour, really, for a million quid a year, whatever it was he was on. I was thinking, if, I guarantee if he was like a, a steely midfielder or, or a, or a, a centre-back or something, he probably would have gone after him. We was thinking, yeah, this young lad, yeah, he's a bit light, you know, he's a bit flary, but we're not really going we're, we're really to play that sort of football, are we? And I just think... It I was just know. simple. I don't know. Listen, sure, he wouldn't even play Wes Hoolahan, and he had. Well, no, was... I no, I, I, I think that Jack Grealish's father and Jack Grealish's agent knew how much money this guy was going to make them, and I don't think they saw the same. He had an financial or the same commercial potential that he would have had going he, to play for should. Ireland, or or then nah, he would have had going to play for England. I, I, I think that's what it was. I don't think it was a thing of O'Neill. Not picking him. O'Neill could have accommodated Jack Grealish into that squad if he really wanted to. I don't think he would have. I don't think he would. Have. I think he. I think he would have. I think he would have. He was that player we we were missing. He was that kind of player but, but, we were missing. But, 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 well, we had the player that we were missing. Wes Hoolahan. And he wouldn't play. Well, he wouldn't play well. But he's about fifteen years younger than him. You know. Yeah, but, but what I'm saying to you is, like you're saying, you could accommodate him. Then why didn't he accommodate Wes Hoolahan? Which obviously we're jumping ahead of ourselves because that's more down. Uh, the line, but you know, Wes Hulan couldn't get a game under trap. I think it was the same I think, thing. I think it's I, no. I, th- I I I honestly think you, it was. You you the, think that if we had a got Jack Grealish on board, that yeah, even though he's the same type of player in, t- in terms of he plays behind the front too, doesn't he, Jack Grealish? That's where you'd play him. That's the strength. Yeah, well, at the at the time he was playing, he was playing behind the front too. But I mean, he could play wide, and he he played yeah. wide for the under twenty one. So I'd imagine he would have played wide. You, like you, I'd, ima- I'd imagine okay. he would have played instead of Aidan McGeady. Rather than, rather than in the number that. 10 McGee, role. McGeady and McLean seem to be his boys. Um, I don't think... I think the fact that he was young, uh, I think the fact that he was what uh, managers like O'Neill would look at him and call a luxury player. And Ireland can't afford to play with a luxury player. Um, the same was said about Paddy McCourt. I know I'm not trying to compare the players, but you know he was a luxury player and he couldn't get a game for Northern Ireland. And he said, I think it was Nigel Worthington said, well, you, you, when you're Northern Ireland, you can't afford to have a player like Paddy McCourt. You know, you need everyone. Behind I know, the ball. I, I know, and but I think, one I is, I know, but one, one, one is Paddy McCourt, and one is one of yeah, the hottest properties in British football. But the principle, but the principle is the same. 
I, I know. I like, don't, I don't like, think so. I don't think so. Think I, I, I think a player like I think a player like Jack Grealish, the, as I said, the financial value, the financial worth, they all knew how good he was, and they knew how good he was from the time he was about fifteen. We, well, you don't think we should have played, but like his thing was that he wouldn't play him um, because he wasn't really getting his game out, and he did come out. That this isn't. It was mentioned in the thing, but I didn't put it in the notes, and I do apologise. Uh, but he did. He was kind of saying that um, at the time, Paul Lambert wasn't playing him. And Jack didn't play as many games as he thought he would have played. And Martin kind of pointed out, well, you know, he hasn't played as many games as he thought he would have played now, has he? I just think there was a, there was a window of opportunity to get him involved. And I think O'Neill, because of the type of player he was, he wouldn't... Well, well, I, mean, I think it was a lot. I think it was a lost cause and very early on. As soon as he said he was thinking about it, that that was it. That was it. That was that was Jack Grealish's opportunity and Jack Grealish's window to speak to, I to think potential sponsors, yeah. to speak to to potential financial advisors, to speak to his agent. That right. was that's all that was happening then. It wasn't him weighing up the decision. No, and you, was, and, you, and saying, you think O'Neill is completely blameless and all that. I I I, I don't think it would have made a difference. I, I don't, no, I don't think it would have made a difference to be honest. I think I think. As far as I know, O'Neill did call him up at some stage, and he, um, he rejected the call up. So he, he was never going to take him. He was never going to take the call up. I blame Noel King quicker than I blame Martin O'Neill. To be brutally honest, you just want to blame him. So I blame, I blame Stephen, Stephen Ward. Ward. Yeah. I blame Stephen Ward. And Paul quick. Green. Uh, Green, well, yeah. Oh well, God, yeah. We'll move on because we're, we're no, no. I think it's just something. A, a key point on that Jack Grealish thing is if, if you think where we are and all the speculation about him, why was he being asked so much about him? Is 2015 in April, semi-final of the FA Cup, I think Grealish had a brilliant game. That's what brought him to the attention of England, really. Um, you know, and started calling for him to be brought into... Like, you know, he, he was he was a man-of-the-match performance and everyone's going, oh, who's this crack Grealish then? Oh, he played for under-21 for Ireland. Oh, where's he from? Oh, Birmingham. All right, well, why haven't we come in from... That was the kind of thing of the English mentality of it because they weren't bothered before. So and it's just one of them little kind of uh, closing doors moments, basically. I, I, I think, think if he hadn't have done that, or played as well, they probably wouldn't have been as bothered. Yeah, uh, but I, if, I, if Baron Neal had have got off his arse and actually gone for it, I, I, think, think, I think there was a win of opportunity there. And you, you, you see it there, you know, you can say... Did, right. but, but David, he did call him up. Like, he, he did... It did emerge after years the later that he... After the semi-final. After the semi-final. But, yeah, we, but we, still, we pissed about... But, know, but, he, but yeah, yeah, that's the thing that we spoke about this, though, Nick, before, haven't we? You know, even Stephen Kenny, be brave, be brave, make a decision. Yeah, but, we have we have a dearth of talent. We need new talent, and that he sh- listen. If Stephen Kenny was in charge, right, he would have tried to have got Grealish involved straight away. That's that's the thing. That's what Stephen Kenny's trying to do at the moment, and he's getting slated and, for it. But that's and what Grealish, and Grealish wouldn't have accepted the call up. Like I, I, th- I think no, this. I, I think, think that's this happened years after. Before. I no, I think that happened, um, and Martin's right. That it was only because of that semi-final at Wembley against against Liverpool. I actually worked at that, funny enough, at Wembley, and it was that final. He was brilliant because uh, Tim Sherwood is now manager at this rate, at this stage, I believe, and he put his faith in Grealish when Paul Lambert was the manager of Jack Grealish, right? When Paul Lambert was the manager of Jack Grealish, he didn't believe in Jack Grealish and his best mate Roy. You know, was probably going back to Martin saying, you know, he's, you know, he's not that great or whatever. Yeah, everyone knew, everyone knew the ability this lad had, and he should have been brought on. He should have been brought well, on. Well, I quicker. think, I think, even from the time that he was playing for Notts County on loan, England were after him then. Like the, the it, it was a long-standing thing. 
Yeah, they, like they, he, yeah, even but, in the underage setups, he, there was a long-standing thing, and I don't like even. But even that. the narrative from his father, and that mm. that was going back to his time at Notts County. Mm. That that is years ago. That that is that's when he was only about seventeen or something. Um, there was the narrative that the father was leaning towards England if he had the chance. I I, I don't think it was ever a possibility. Mm, no, I don't don't agree with that. I think I think O'Neill was caught napping, and I think his uh, his interests were elsewhere. And I think I mean, when, at the end of the day, when you bring in a thirty eight year old goalkeeper as your your number one, that goes to show you where you're building, and which would you know we'll see in future episodes with O'Neill. But yeah, I, I just don't think uh, yeah, I don't I just I just think O'Neill just didn't fancy him at the time, and when we saw it, when he realised you know it was, it was far too late. But anyway, yeah. So third of June, then even better news: John Delaney having a little admission, just a little one though. Yeah, you've got to <laughs> you've got to figure out there, and and fair play to you for that. Now you put a figure out there, and uh, yeah, it's just this is really um, unbelievable, isn't it? After the five million dollar uh, payoff given by FIFA. The, the shush the, the alleged shush money for to go towards TV but what wasn't it a, a no interest loan that just never got yeah. paid back yeah. so announcing that on RTE of course on the 3rd of June just to just to make things even more uplifting and then following that of course a couple of nil nil a couple of nil nil victories uh, one behind closed doors against Northern Ireland and the next one a nil nil draw against England and I believe Paul's goal said it was the worst game of football he has ever seen <laughs> mm. I was dying with a hangover I remember I won a fortune at the Epsom Derby I was hammered at it and I remember I actually had a Domino's pizza double decadence and I was hanging out of my arse watching an ITV on the couch and uh, yeah I actually think I nodded off but I think that would have happened minus the hangover anyway for... that bad. I just remember I just remember Andros Townsend being fantastic <laughs> so it says a lot doesn't it when, when a player like Andros Random? Townsend sta- stands out so, yeah, the, the, good, the good thing about that England game, though, if you look back, the, that was the last time, I think one of the last times Jack Charlton was at the Aviva. Yeah, they presented right, him yeah. before, the, uh, before the game, and it, um, actually our club chairman at the time, Deck Finnegan, was one of the was the Irish fan who presented him um, the little glass vase with another with an England fan uh, before the game. And it was nice, actually, because um, you know, Declan said to me that you know Jack was so touched by the ovation he got, and he actually said the words to him, like, you know, I didn't think they'd remember, so, which is lovely. Um, thinking about it, yeah, it was great to see that. I mean, that, that's what I was, I remember from the game, actually. Just that, really. The, game, the football was absolutely atrocious. Yeah, lovely moment. And just a week later, so the, the Euros qualifiers do resume. So a 1-1 draw against Scotland. Again, we should have won, lads, wasn't it? John Walter scoring on the 38th minute, and then John O'Shea with a really unfortunate deflected on goal i think i got my nct that day um <laughs> or the day be the day after because i remember reading it in the paper and thinking we really should have won this one because we needed this win didn't we we needed a win to kind of take the initiative over scotland because they were kind of dropping results and it was um yeah it was it was it was a difficult watch but certainly a game that we should have won but it showed a bit of momentum then wasn't it wasn't that kind of i wouldn't say it was the turning point per se but it did show that we were picking up a little bit bit of momentum in that group as scotland were starting to lose it I don't know about that. I mean, I, you, you've I annoyed me. You've annoyed me with the Grealish comment now, so I'm going to just contradict what <laughs> you say. I think we were just difficult to beat. Uh, if you look back at the results, then from that, you know, the America friendly, you know, we hadn't lost for a while. Um, 
just very difficult to beat. And it was always going to be the case if you if we would probably nick a one nil somewhere, we might win one nil. And we kind of nearly did that against Scotland, going one nil up. And it was a really disappointing goal. I remember to concede the deflection. Um, an interesting one from that was um, after the game. I was in. I met Mark Lawrenson. Um, in the bowels of the Aviva Stadium. I won't tell you how I got in there, but I did. <laughs> and um, he said, oh, no, it's gone now. No, we're not going to qualify. And I, I, as you know, I'm always quite positive. And I said, no, I think we qualify. You know, it's interesting. And I also got chatting to a steward um, down there because obviously where I was, I probably shouldn't have been. And uh, he was saying to me, I said, oh, who have you had in today? Because it was kind of VIP area. And he said, oh, we had you just missed Rod Stewart, which I was very disappointed about. Um, <laughs> and he said that Rod, he said you you won't believe what he did. And I said, well, what did he do? He said, well, you know, he knows Martin O'Neill. He said, and five minutes before the kickoff, he said, I want to go and see Martin O'Neill. So they rang down to this the changing room and said, oh look, uh, Martin Rod Stewart's here. He wants to say hello to you. And Martin O'Neill said, okay, yeah, send him down then. So off he went to meet him five minutes before the game. I was just amazed at that. But, um, yeah, it was, I also met Paul McGrath, so that was really good, um, obviously. But, um, yeah, I, I still believed we were still in contention, but I knew we'd need to get some big results, um, a, a big result from somewhere. Because um, you got to remember, the first two qualified, and then the third one got the playoffs. So we were, I think it was a, a, as a best finisher, I think it was. So we were still in contention because Scotland was starting to drop and, and, and drop points, I think. Yeah, they were they were kind of losing that bit of momentum, so it was kind of working, working in almost reverse fashion because they were they were excellent at the start mm. under under Gordon Strachan. Mm. So on the tenth of July, in another team, so we spoke about Jack Grealish, we spoke about John Delaney kind of popping up a lot in this qualifying campaign. But another thing that happened was Martin O'Neill constantly getting linked with different jobs, and wasn't um, Nigel Pearson sacked by Leicester, and Martin O'Neill, of course, linked with his former club Leicester, but they. They actually went for Claudio Ranieri, and he did all. Right. He did okay, I think. You know, I think did all right, Ranieri. Yeah. So my fairly decent call, uh, in our opinion, anyway. <laughs> Only won a little league title. So World Cup qualifying draws made on the twenty fifth of July. So of course we're still involved in the the European Championship qualifiers, and we draw Wales, Austria, Serbia, Moldova, and Georgia. And of course we'll cover that next time. And on the eighteenth of August, uh, finally a meeting with Martin O'Neill and Jack Grealish's dad. Who let them know that they are? Who who let us all know? I suppose as fans that they were fruitful talks, and that what a lot of bollocks. yeah, a load of bollocks, and that Martin O'Neill will be able to add Jack Grealish to the squad immediately. Fourth mm. of September, four 0 win against Gibraltar. No sign of Jack Grealish. So again, that game played in Faro, so that'll give us a little bit of shivers after last mm. month's results against Portugal. So Cyrus Christie scoring his first international goal, Robbie Keane with a brace, and Shane Long scoring again in the qualifying campaign. So again, putting us, um, you know, into a much better position, given the fact that Scotland had lost to Georgia into Tbilisi. So putting Ireland back in the hunt, putting us up to third place and coming back from the dead. So of course we led Scotland by a point. 7th of September, Georgia come to town, John Walter scoring with just 20 minutes to go. Fairly, I wouldn't say a late goal, but a fairly edgy game, wasn't it? Again, a team that we always kind of scrape through and, and a very, very important game. And again, the attendance was only 27,000, wasn't it? Like, it was quite low. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, you can see by the results here, we're grinding results here. We were dreadful to watch and very suffocating to watch. You know, we'd suffocate the opponents and very tough to break down. And, yeah, you know, obviously, as I said, we're about to lose. Spoiler alert, probably a most creative player, but, of course, the manager didn't want to play creative football anyway. Um, so... I was, and by the way, that that must uh, that must be a re- another reason. If you're a player, you're a creative player, and, and you got a manager like Martin O'Neill just want to play creative football. I mean, why would you bother? Probably not even going to get a game anyway, regardless, um, because we never do. And yeah, I think this is really the start. Now we were just grinding out results. We were horrible to watch, but we were we were getting the job done. To be fair, and Scotland down would lose two games on the bounce, and that was it. We were well out front we were just keeping track on the playoff place and that's another thing third place gets you a playoff for the first time ever um for this european championship so it's all starting to fall in very nicely for bad cup and bad bad cup yeah so four points ahead and on the 10th of september jack Grealish's father rejecting a claim that uh that he'd actually chosen england again spoofer and then literally was it two weeks later yeah she declared for england go on martin yeah (laughs) yeah well well, martin o'neill yeah 6th of october so um this one from martin o'neill wasn't it i never chased jack Grealish at all i never prostituted myself in any way shape or form for jack Grealish. i was actually accused of the other thing we're chasing for, it up. For, for not chasing it up. <laughs> yeah, not and chasing he didn't. It, yeah. And that's what he even admitted. Him, sorry, that was my uh, that was my notes uh, there. Yeah. I, I I meant to say for not chasing it up, and he didn't chase it up. And you know, he, he's even you're hearing from the horse's mouth there. Um, he he didn't chase it up, and we lost him, and he played in the European Cup final. Yeah. Sorry. So eighth of October. So to sweeten the blow, the famous one nil victory against Germany. Of course, Shane Long scoring on the seventy first minute after a. An, an incredible Darren Randolph cross, will we call it? <laughs> Route one it. football. Route one football at its very, very best. So of course, yeah. Shane Given coming off injured, Darren Randolph coming on, and we got that famous victory over Germany. Were you there, it, lads? Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was was and um, yeah, and I, I was looking at the team there from that, and it's interesting that Shane Long came on for Darren Murphy and then yeah. scored like five, six minutes later. So, inspired substitution. Um, and I think, yeah, it, 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 and, and also you've got to remember uh, that Shea Gibbon got injured and yeah, Randolph yeah. had to come in, and that was one of the things as well. I, I mean, the we will talk obviously about this and, and before obviously going off, spoiler alert, where we qualified for the Euros, how Martin O'Neill treated the goalkeepers, because I think that's worth a, a bit <laughs> of discussion as well. Um, because, yeah, it, it was an interesting one for that campaign. Um, yeah, but interesting that, Dan Randolph came in that night and assisted the goal. So, yeah, I think something worth mentioning actually the from the one-one draw against Scotland. That's when we kind of started playing the the diamond formation. Like I think I think we played against the USA in the friendly and and we were excellent. And then I think we played against England in that nil-nil draw when we kind of bored the shit out of everyone. But but that diamond really really worked against some of the bigger teams. So we got so we got that draw against Scotland and then we beat beat Georgia using the diamond and beat Germany using the diamond as well. And of course we saw that in the Euros. So just an interesting point there. And we, yeah, so we, we more or less needed a win um, to qualify automatically. So we kind of played ourselves back into serious contention. So Germany on 19 points, Poland on 18 points uh, along with us. And again, ruling Scotland out. So we were guaranteed a playoff. And I mean, 
We certainly didn't expect that a couple of months previous. So a 2-1 loss to Poland, sadly, in Warsaw. I, I have a, a story to tell about this, actually. I was in Cambridge watching this. And uh, if anyone from my old job was listening, uh, well, fuck you, really. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I actually told the story. Uh, I was my best mate's best man. And I told the story at uh, in my best man's speech. But basically, we went up to go to Cambridge. And I, I remember playing France in the World Cup in um, the rugby in Cardiff, I think it was. And yeah, it was then, the same day. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, yeah, it was a yeah. double header. I think I watched it in... Um, Harry's in in Kalesser, or kind of well, they they would say Clontarf, I'm, I'd call it Kalesser, but anyway, but yeah, because it was a big double header, a big day yeah. of drinking. There was something else on that day. I just can't remember what it was. But uh, anyway, and I remember I went up and I went up with my mate Frank, and we got absolutely shit faced, hammered, drunk, and I remember the first half, and I remember us scoring, uh, the equaliser. I don't remember much more about that, but anyway. I then the next thing I remember is waking up um, on a sofa and I'm and I'm like, well, I don't where the fuck am I? I don't recognize this place. And I'm sitting there going, where the fuck am I? And I get up and I'm going around. Like, Jesus Christ, where am I? And I look at the clock at six o'clock in the morning I'm thinking, fucking hell. And I can't find my phone. Guy comes down the stairs. And I was like, um, how are you? What's going on? Oh, yeah, sorry. We saw you on the train last night and you were really drunk. So we took you off the train and brought you home. Now, thank God I didn't have a ball gag or I wasn't, you know, a mouse and <laughs> was restrained somewhere in a dungeon. But uh, for so a change, am I? you hadn't brought it back with you that night. No, I was very disappointed. Actually. <laughs> and uh, I turned around and uh, he goes, uh, You're a new market. Like, new market. And he goes, Yeah, new market. Like, but the horsey new market, like with the fucking. The race course goes, yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, I've got to be, I'm in work in two hours. It's like, you're not going to make London in two hours. I was like, no. And he goes, yeah, here's your phone and the whole lot. I remember just ringing everybody and just like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I, I haven't been ball gagged, sadly. And um, I remember he drove me to the station and the whole lot and just getting home and texting work saying, uh, I have food poison that. Sorry, because I'm on this train and I'm covered in fucking vomit and <laughs> fucking all sorts. And I sat next to this poor woman on the train going back to London. I, re- I felt sorry. I was in an awful state. And um, subsequently, I... Did you know the results of the match, more importantly? Um, I think I checked Sky, I remember. Um, I don't I think, think I did remember. know. I couldn't remember, man. I was hammered. And um, anyway, what happened was, how I ended up in Newmarket was, um, we got to the train station and my mate was supposed to put me on the King's Cross train. And he put me on the wrong fucking train. And he ended up in Newmarket. So he put me on the wrong train and he ended up like in the other opposite end of the country uh, from London. And thankfully, two American gents who didn't um, ball gag me and all sorts of horrible things in a dungeon and I'm not a YouTube video well, not that yet. you know of not that I know of anyway but that's okay and uh, we're all friends here and basically yeah I um, I went to work then my boss got fired and my new um, new boss want, was furious that I hadn't arrived and of course my manager I had said last week well if Ireland qualify I might be a little bit you know worse aware coming in on the Monday I was more than worse aware and I had to sign um my clock card we still have the clock card and I had to sign I had to go in for two weeks my boss and he had to sign my clock card for me make sure I was in on time for two weeks like a little child 
Oh, because my mate put me on the wrong fucking train. Um, so that 2-1 victory securing uh, our playoff spot. So, of course, the new kind of system or the new format where third place would actually get you a playoff. So, you know, for, for once, a third place finish was actually a very positive one for us. So the draw came out. So Ireland drawing Bosnia. So I remember the draw coming out for this lads, and I can't remember who who else was in it. But I think Italy were kind of in in pot one, weren't they? And we were in pot two. And I remember thinking if we avoid them, we have a bit of a chance. So Bosnia came out, and I think a lot of people were thinking Merlin Pjanic and Edin Dzeko, and you know there was they were probably marginal favourites. And then they played Zanika, which was considered a little bit more hostile um, than Sarajevo. And I mean, in in the lead up to that game, lads, the the, the narrative was around those two players, Pjanic and Jeko, and and how we were going to handle them. And kind of looking at the qualifying campaign as a whole, looking at it, saying, "Jesus, we beat Germany, and hopefully we don't throw the throw it away against these lads." Because that Bosnia team was kind of a, a golden generation per se uh, that they would have had. Because those two lads were were really at the the peak of their powers. I think Pjanic was one of the top assisters that season domestically. So we, we had an uphill battle already. Well, Mother Nature took care of that, Nick. So it was grand, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> crazy fog, wasn't it, in, in yeah. Zanika? That was the I same know. night. That, that, not not to bring the tone down. Yeah, I know. Same yeah, night as the Paris yeah. attacks, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Uh, this was... Not... Yeah, go on. No, I was going to say, it's... <laughs> Nick, don't go above your station, pal. It's my job to mention war and attack. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that on on the subject of war. Obviously, going to Sarajevo was this was this is probably in the top. I would say ten trips I've been on uh, following Ireland. Going there was brilliant. You know, went to the famous bridge um, where is it Duke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. Oh, the first world oh, war. Oh, Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was worth seeing, to be honest. Um, and then, yeah, this was just brilliant, like because we knew they were trying to put all the little tricks, the Bosnians, you know, making it Zeneca. So everyone was in Sarajevo. Uh, we booked um, a coach for our club members who were going to be travelling over. Massive demand for tickets, as you'd expect. Um, I know the FAI got another deal and brought tickets in the main stand off some of the uh, well, off the Bosnians, obviously. Um, but um, yeah, didn't obviously see a lot of the game because I, I I do remember that you know that it was so foggy there and we were actually even on, even on TV people. it wasn't yeah. visible on TV. No, nah. I mean we, I, I remember the, the goal because it was in front of us and Robbie scored and ran towards us and then I remember um, we heard the cheer at the other end so we knew they scored. That's that's how you knew they scored. But Jesus. a really 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 good trip. So we had a coach booked in to collect us in Sarajevo thinking, oh, right, we're, we're really clever here. We've got a coach booked and we're going to be meeting them there. Not realising that the Bosnians were a lot cleverer than us, to be honest. They had uh, loads of coaches were collecting the wide big lot and all that kind of thing. Loads of Irish fans going over there uh, for the trip. So our bus set off first and we're off on the motorway. And um, then we seen all the other buses kind of behind us. And then our drivers like heading along the motorway towards Zeneca and police, uh, patrols pull up alongside it take us off the motorway and brought us into kind of a convoy with the other coaches brought us to a kind of large park where there was one bar there which apparently legend has it was owned by the police commissioner's brother <laughs> made us all get off the buses all go into this bar 
and you could there was drinking food in there and like a bit of a party atmosphere. It was good. We all got search going in. We all got search going out to check that we weren't bringing drink out with us. All back onto the buses. Police escort into the into um, Zeneca, and all parked up in this hotel. And off we went off into the the grounds where they positioned us in the ground as well. Was like next to all the um, Bosnian ultras. You yeah, know the ones yeah, like standing yeah. up and wasn't wearing the black, very intimidating, massive yeah, yeah. and stuff. But they Crazy. were they did some kind of rep, didn't they? Like a yeah. an insidious rep. Mm. Yeah, you know, it was quite a quite a racist, uh, very hateful, yeah, kind of section of fans. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was brilliant, like a great result. You know, we were happy with that. I remember leaving the ground. Then it was a case of it didn't matter, just get on the nearest bus you can. Yeah. So you know people standing on the bus and everything because we you know people just trying to get out of there basically and yeah the news came through obviously from um the the you know the the bombings and stuff in paris so that was quite concerning and worrying like what happened that night and things so a lot of people were obviously concerned about you know what else was going to happen anywhere else but um yeah i remember just getting back to sarajevo we had a good few drinks and stuff like that it was quite a good atmosphere afterwards um because we were quite confident that we were going to um, get a result back in Dublin and then I remember just leaving our hotel you know next morning really quickly like, I think we had an Airbnb or something like that but I remember going to the airport really early and then meeting Dzeko as he came through uh, Begovic and all yeah, the Ireland team all the Ireland team came through then and that's the one where again another meeting with Roy Keane where he was fine with me and then a minute later he's shouting at another fan going like just, just take the photo or what are you doing or what do you want a photo for? Kind of thing. It's just the the contrast of the man's ridiculous. Yeah. But now they were they were in good, very confident going back there. Yeah, there was a lot of momentum going back, and I mean, th- there was always that feel, even just before the kickoff, that we had this because we had the away goal. And people forget how late the goal was, eighty second minute, and of course, Jekyll mm-hmm. scoring literally with the the next play, wasn't it, in the the eighty fifth minute? But there, there was a real confident feel kind of going back to Lansdowne Road and John Walters, mm-hmm. of course, scoring two goals in the in the 2-0 victory. But but that Bosnian team looked disinterested. We had momentum. We just looked structured. We, look, we looked really, really up for it. Seamus Coleman, I remember having one of the, the best games I've ever seen by an Irish international, and that never gets mentioned. He was mm-hmm. unbelievable, really cool, really, really solid, really composed. And, and a lot of people forget about how good Seamus Coleman was that, that night because a lot of people say, well, John Walters got the double... And a couple of other good individual performances as well. I think James McCarthy was excellent as well. But but Coleman really grew into himself and really became the international player we know him to be now. That the the Walters goals, obviously the penalty was was one. Oh, but the, the other goal, the other goal was unusual, wasn't it? It was just an unusual finish, a really really tight finish. Mm. Yeah, like like again, you know, like when you look back at the campaigns and qualifi- qualification, this was the latter part of that campaign. It's all about John Walters. He scored some really key goals for us. Yeah. He was really, really informed. And, you know, even if you look at, um, I know we'll go on to it later on then with the next part of O'Neill and stuff, it's, it's like how how well James McLean did and things like that. So just, we we always seem to have a player who really kind of steps up and has this incredible, incredible qualifying campaign. Shane Long as well. I mean, yeah. credit to him. I mean, it's three or four goals he scored in that campaign. Yeah. That was the big thing, wasn't it? Going into the Euros, then it was all it was all our hopes were on Shane Long because Robbie really has kind of drifted away from it here by now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like he kind of kind of came out of the reckoning, didn't he? So mm. we qualify, we qualify. So 
our second consecutive Euros. And as I said, it was never really in doubt because Bosnia, as we said, like the whole narrative was Jekyll and, and Pjanic. The one-all draw, we kind of got a you know a preview of what was going to come back to Lansdowne Road. And I think it was a huge advantage that we were taking them back to Dublin. Mm. And again, they they just looked disinterested. Like they were they were a poor Bosnian team for a side that had a couple of superstars, really. And it was uh, you know it was a very very satisfying victory and and a very very um, convincing one as well. So, twelfth of December, the Euro twenty sixteen draw was made, and of course, um, if our Memories aren't that short. We draw Italy, Belgium, and Sweden, and we finish the year ranked as the 31st best team in the world. So jumping nearly 35 places or 36 places uh, from when Martin O'Neill took over. So a memorable campaign, wasn't it, lads? An inconsistent one, but certainly memorable. Yeah, I think once he uh, he found his groove with it, I suppose, to the style of football he wanted to play, which was non-football, Um you know, I think he was kind of. We proved to be quite difficult to beat, uh, quite difficult to break down, and you know, f- and fair play to him for doing it. That's his job. His job is to qualify us there. Um, you must remember, obviously, Scotland. Scotland messed it up completely. The one in Georgia, they 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 screwed it up completely for themselves, and we just we just kept going slow and steady wins the it, race. It was such a stark contrast, wasn't it? Because as we yeah. said earlier. Really strong Scottish start. They should have beaten Germany. They should have beaten Poland. And then they fade away yeah. in, in the latter stages. And with us at the very start, like after three games, even though we got the draw against Germany, we, we hammered Gibraltar. We were kind of saying, no, we're, we're not going to the Euros. And then the tables just turned really, yeah. really quickly. And he did that. And But you, you must remember as well, you know, I mean, O'Neill was very lucky, I thought, with, with certain things. A lot of things went for him, really, didn't they? The fact that we finished third and that you know if this was any other year we would have been nowhere near the playoffs we would have finished third and you know just not qualified but third got you to a playoff um and then you know we had a massive fog in the game now you say that well that affects both teams but at the end of the day you know we were very fortunate to get this lovely fog which um you know kind of kills we, the game really. we're the away side i mean the onus is on bosnia to attack and they, yep. they couldn't really do it um I mean, we, and robbie brady got a cheeky little goal i remember and of course they scored like three minutes later and then of course we just we just we just hammered them at home didn't we, we just went for all guns blazing at home um just barricaded I can't, I can't remember a game i've never been so confident about a game against yeah. a side that had you know marginally the- definitely mar- well a couple of Far superior players, but a marginally superior. No, team. but what, what I mean, never felt so confident. But on the night they had nothing, like they had nothing to show for it. Yeah, I mean, for, they were far flat, the weren't they? They were just flat. We just hammered them. The atmosphere was great, and you just knew that that we were going to go to the Euros. Um, but he was very lucky, O'Neill. I mean, fair play to him. His job was. He did say at the beginning that he was going to walk away from the job if. Uh, yeah, we that's right. Play. Um, and then you know, I think. He didn't help himself with some of the selections and, you know, the whole Grealish thing and bringing Shea given into the team at 38, which I thought was outrageous. Um, various bits and pieces like that. But he was very fortunate, um, I, I do think. But to be fair, the rules were the rules. He can't, he, you've got to play the teams that are in front of you. The cards fall with it when he may. And sometimes you've nothing to do with it. And sometimes you have everything to do with it. And I think a bit of fortune and um, with the rules and all that. But yeah, you know. That was that was there, a free mate. There was something charming though about the campaign, wasn't there? Because I mean, the the late goal in in Georgia, the the late equalizers against Germany and Poland, the beating Germany, probably the first time we beaten a top nation since Holland, and then yeah, 
a, a convincing win in a playoff, something that had just never happened really. Yeah. Well, I suppose the, I the Iran game, but it was just it was just romantic. all these things that had gone against us for years were finally yeah. starting to go for us. And it was it was really it was it was reminiscent of Martin O'Neill's UEFA Cup journey with, with Celtic really on so but, many levels. But when we look through through it with the cold, hard uh, eye of realism and you know, you you realize yeah, the football was dreadful. Um, the you know, he was quite fortunate with a lot of things. A lot of things went his way and went our way, which you know we'll always take because how many times have things gone against us? So yeah, there's that little bit of romanticism and oh, it's Kino, you know, oh, you know Martin's pal over there, you know he's back. He's you know he's involved, isn't it great? We have an Irish man, you know, we have an Irish bar manager bringing us uh, to the Euros for the first time, and you know there are a lot of things going for it. Um, but as I said. Sell a taped over a lot of cracks, um, and that would obviously come apart. So yeah, I was listen. I was delighted. I look at that now, but obviously at the time I was just delighted we were we were going like anybody was. But obviously looking back now, knowing what we know now, and kind of going back over the history of it, um, and reminiscing, yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, as I said third place. We got a playoff. Any other year, we would have been nowhere near that. Quite frankly. Yeah. Well, you know, we we take it now, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you look back at it, look, third place to get guaranteed. We were guaranteed a playoff when we went to Poland, and it was in our own hands to qualify automatically if we'd have beaten Poland away. And now you'd have taken that, but we didn't. I know we lost over there two one. It was it, like we basically had two chances, and we had two playoff chances really because we could have beaten Poland, and then we had the backdoor offer with Bosnia basically. So. um yeah, it's, it's one of them, I could see the results getting better and, and what he was doing, but it, it wasn't great to watch. Incredibly lucky, if you look back, you know, the late goal against Poland kept us in the group. The win against Germany when we were, you know, all right, we, we, we got the win. But it was a ball, we I went Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it was that moment, though. You know, I think I've said it on one of our podcasts in the past. I, I was really sick for a while of seeing Scotland beating France. I remember being away with Ireland watching Ireland playing somewhere and it was the night Scotland beat France and I was thinking to myself during the Stan era wasn't it yeah how can they go and do that and we never get that day we never get that moment and we were getting more and more of those but like I suppose it kind of brings it around to today now I, I don't want to see that anymore I don't want to see us yeah. struggling for tournaments qualifying like oh we, we, we'll have our brave one defeat we'll have our day in the sun but we're still not going to ever really compete at that level. No, um, you, you, we will never compete. We'll never compete with the sellotape. The sell, yeah. that's, that I'm trademarking up. The sellotape football. You'll never compete. You'll qualify. And Martin, as you spot on, you say, you know, you'll have your day in the sun. You'll have your look. Because that's football. These things swinging roundabouts. It's a long ball over the top. The game against Wales. You know, that was, um, that was a, um, an Ashley Williams. Uh, is that, have I got that? Name correct the the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah we just closed that that was him pissing about he was too slow and it we closed it down boom got the goal yeah the trigger yeah yeah there was no it was just everything that O'Neill did and I know I'm gonna probably get slated for this so send so if you want to slate me send your hate tweets to at Martin Prendy <laughs> on Twitter Prendy uh, Rebel Prendy Rebel on Twitter oh nice oh even you don't even, yeah yeah that's the ones yeah. Send me your hate tweets. No, no, but honestly, like everything O'Neill did, it just 
it just smelled literally of throw shit at the wall and something will stick. And I yeah. think that's just kind of what he did uh, during his tenure. And I think this campaign was full of that. We were lucky. We were shit against Germany. And it was a great result. We were shit in Gelsenkirchen. Uh, we were terrible against Poland at home. We were terrible against Scotland away. He was, you know, was counting mouse. mouse. Uh, were we unlucky against Scotland? Yeah, but I, I don't think there was really any patterns. You know, you never really saw any patterns to play, did you? Like, what you never really looked at a team and go, you know, he really wants our players to play this way and this pattern. Mm. Just, just put them behind a team. Do you know, a will break, pounce on it, and try to get some this little burst football. Do you know what it reminds me of? Is, is the more I think about it now, and I, I love doing these because it's very reflective and, and trying to remember the games and all that. It, it's it's like Arsenal of the 90s, 91, that kind of thing. You know, 1-0 yeah. to the Arsenal. They'll get a goal, but we, 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 we can get a goal and we'll try and defend that and we we'll, we can do it. Because if you look back, we're very unlucky not to win in Bosnia. I know we'll go on to next, in the next one, we'll talk about, you know, the win against Wales, the win in Austria again. Um, you know, like the 1-0 the wins. Uh, and we, we he, he, he kind of mastered that, to be fair to him. He did get that there. He got those lads playing out of To be fair, he got them invested and he got them playing out of skins, i.e. defending, closing down, smothering the game and just clinging off their life mm. and just making last-ditch tackles and this sort of stuff. And then we got a bit of luck because sometimes you can play this sort of football and luck goes against you. And he, he got the... Listen, he got the luck. I don't care what anyone says. Third place gets you a playoff. The fog... Uh, we got Bosnia for a start. The fog in Bosnia, all these different things. Scotland making a balls of it in Georgia. Scotland, listen, if Scotland win against Georgia and they keep clubbing away, I think we would we could have fallen away there. That I remember that was for me was the momentum mm. for Ireland. Well, that was the start of it, and then we went on very shortly after that. And we we beat Germany. We, yeah, a long ball over the top. We did the business, but if I remember correctly, Germany battered us in that game. Yeah. Yeah. They hammered us in this game. Um, they had chance after chance, and I think we, I think, um, was it Walters? And I think actually McCarthy played really well. I think that was one of the few games he played quite well, actually. That was the one, the famous picture, isn't it, of Walters in the corner? Yeah. Pinning, you know, with the two German players trying, pinning, like, surrounding the ball, and he's yeah. just looking after it. That, that's that. That's... I mean, yeah, I mean, you look back at it. Uh, I will look back now again. I know we've you've done the notes researching this, but how many late goals did we get? You think of McGeady's goal at the start of it in September, and then you know that even Brady's eighty second minute, late uh, the the Gelsenkirchen equalised the ninety fourth minute, Poland at home, Shane Long ninety three minutes. We never gave up, but yeah. God, I mean that's that's the most incredibly lucky campaign, not like resilient campaign in a way, but like. You don't always do that. It, it, it just, it's like the perfect storm. And I, I think it was a perfect storm for, for, storm for the FAI as well because it was a gamble for Delaney, the FAI, bringing them, the big names in there for it and it brought the publicity of, you know, like, you know, the profile of it. I mean, look, we've just spent an hour and a half talking about Roy Keane and Jack Grealish and all these other things off the field going on, um, even aside from the football. And the fact they qualified then it justified the FAI's appointment of him, I think. Um, yeah, it, it's one of those, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't matter. It, uh, if it all goes well, like no one cares about the mistakes. We, we forget about the stuff. We just paper over everything, don't we? And this was mm. just sellotape and paper everywhere. I mean, there was, there was just... 
all sorts of stuff going on here. The fact that Aidan McGeady not only scored a goal, he actually scored two goals in the game, which is just miraculous in itself. We were dreadful in that game. Um, as I said, we were terrible against Germany away, but we got the result. Uh, Scotland didn't see the game, but it didn't sound like we got up to much there. Uh, the 1-1 one, one Poland, we were dreadful. Northern Ireland, the England game was a write-off. Not the Scotland game, really. It was yet again, it just sort of, we just kind of ironed it out. We, we kind of got the result. Should, probably should have won it. You brought it away, we were dreadful. I remember the 4-0. We were we 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 really laboured to that. I think that was actually goal line. That was actually scoreline flattery. The one nil home to Georgia, poor Germany. We were poor. We got a ball over the top, and they missed about five or six chances. And there was some very brave defending. So yeah, you know, we got there. But it's like trap as well. A lot of stuff went for us. There was no real structure. There was yeah. no real pattern to the play. And well, we I think I think nearly nearly every qualification we've had has has had that bit of luck, and we we take it now. We take it. No, no, David. So that's all we have time for. We'll hopefully be back in the next week or so with Martin O'Neill Part 2. So, of course, the 2018 World Cup qualifiers. Well, actually, no, it won't be. It'll be Euro 2016, won't it? But anyway, we'll, yeah, <laughs> we'll come back to that. It's, it's it late. wasn't it's that very bad. Late. It wasn't it's that very, bad. Of, it wasn't that bad of a campaign. It was actually yeah, quite good. It's, it's very late. I'm forgetting everything tonight, but sure, sure not to worry. So uh, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And, of course, like and subscribe to all our social media channels, of course, Green Machine and LandstoneRoad.e. So until next time, take care.